just a wonderful time to touch base with one another, greet one another. I know we have friends and family, folks new to the community, and folks visiting for Vern's big birthday celebration. It's just wonderful to touch base with everybody. It's going to be a wonderful day. God's given us another beautiful day. Oh, we love the sunshine. We love the lack of mosquitoes. But Lord, give us some, uh, give us some clouds and give us some rain, and we'll even put up with the mosquitoes if you uh, bring the much-needed rain. We are thankful for that. You know, the truth is you have to go through dark days, the hard times, the rainy days to produce the real rich crops. You really just do. And that goes for our hearts, our lives. If you've met anyone, especially an older person who has extreme wisdom or they just have enormous grace or empathy or understanding, generally, if you get to know that person, you find out there is a story behind that. They weren't always that way, but they were molded by circumstances, some of them very, very hard circumstances in their lives. It's those trials and those tests that grow us and make us stronger. For three weeks, on three Sundays, not counting Camp Sunday, but on three Sundays, I want to talk about the testing of our faith, that which grows our understanding and our trust in God. You know, if your faith is never tested, it's going to be a weak faith. It just is. I'm not saying it's not going to be a saving faith, but it's going to be a weak faith. Because in the original languages, one word can be translated trials, testing, or temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Well, that speaks we don't want to fall to temptation, but we need to be open to experiencing it. That's one of the most powerful verses from the letter of James. James written by Jesus' own half-brother to the church in Jerusalem of which he was a leader. And this will be our theme verse for three Sundays, the testing of your faith. If you can see it, and you encourage you, even at home, read along with us. We don't often read Scripture together, but let's read together with this. And I'll start us out by saying, James 1, 2, 4, reading together. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's wonderful. You did a great job. The testing of your faith. It's those tests, trials, and temptation that God uses to get us to that point of maturity, completeness, not lacking anything. And the simple fact is that as far as the Bible teaches maturity for believers it's to become more like God's Son, Jesus. We're not going to be a divine being like Jesus, but we are going to have the love of Christ flowing through us. We're going to be a channel of His care and His compassion. We're going to have eyes that see not the problem, but but to see an opportunity to serve, see people in their need and what we can do for them, to be the answer to our own prayers sometimes. That's why I love it when we share prayer requests because so often I see God moving people's hearts to get involved in God's work to answer that prayer in the life of somebody else. But it doesn't come without the tests and the trials and the tribulations. 
And the fact is, I'm going to be stepping on my toes this morning because I'm getting up there. I'm not, I'm not retirement age. I'm not quite there, but I'm a senior, especially if you're 55 plus. Oh yeah, I've been that for a few years. So seniors, believe it or not, they haven't all arrived. They still have their struggles. In fact, I've called today's message Senior Struggles. It's the tests, the trials, and the temptations that seniors face. Now, don't tune out if you're not there yet because these are going to be the same and they're going to be many, there's much crossover. They're going to be many of the same temptations and trials and tests that you face at your stage in life. But scripture, I believe, reveals to us that at different stages of life, we face different tests and different trials. For instance, when I look at the unique struggles that Paul tells the young pastor Titus in the book of Titus, how to deal with different ages, when it speaks to seniors, in Titus chapter 2, for instance, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul writes, You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. It's interesting. He said that the older Christians are going to have certain struggles. And then in other letters, Paul says the younger people struggle with this. The fact is, we have unique struggles that are unique to our place in life. So just because I'm talking about senior struggles today, you may get there one day, Lord willing, but you may be dealing with some of these issues today. Likewise, when I talk on Grad Sunday next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about, uh, I'm going to be talking about teens, the teen trials. And, and boy, it's been a few years for some of us since we went through that, that angsty time of life. But it's important that we deal with it. And when we hear what our teens are going through and what temptations and tests they're facing, we who aren't there can have empathy and care for them and come alongside because we understand what they're going through. And maybe today God will speak to you as a younger person to what your mother, your father, your grandparents are going through, what they struggle with, and how we can help one another. Well, you midlife people, you family builders, you're, you're not going to get away with it, you know, because in a few weeks we're going to be talking about midlife minefields. And uh, boy, some of you are stepping on those mines every day and some of the struggles you face. As Ken said today, grandparents who are called into action to live a life similar to you in your family builder age, we don't have the strength or energy anymore. It takes strength to live the life that many of you are living but you're going to have your struggles. And we want to see God's encouraging word to us in these unique times of struggle. So coming to the unique struggles that we face as seniors in our culture today, if you were ever in our Sunday school, which basically our video class for the last number of years, you recognize the name of Pastor Bob Russell. He's done a number of wonderful video series. Some of them, he was teaching the life of Joseph and the patriarchs. He and his son would just unpack God's word, the Bible, for us. Bob Russell, though, was also throughout his life the pastor of a large church in the southern U.S. And before he even reached the age of 60, he noticed that his seniors were struggling with certain things that he didn't fully comprehend or understand. 
And so what he did, he polled all the seniors in his community about the particular trials, temptations, and tests that they faced. And there were hundreds of respondents. And some of the results didn't surprise him at all, but some of them did. And he asked them to rank in order. I love it when you see that. In order, the temptations and the trials they faced. Now, they were different from their younger days. They weren't really the temptations of the flesh. They weren't so much about materialism and sex and all of the things that bother us throughout life. They moved from the flesh, temptations of the heart and of the mind and of the attitude. They were inner struggles rather than the outer struggles of our youth. And I want to reflect in on his research. I want to look briefly at the five temptations that seniors identified. And looking at them, I think we can all relate to them. In fact, I shared these with our friends at St. Mary's over a number of chapel times, and we had wonderful discussions, and we found these to be bang on. Well, in descending order, we'll start with number five. Number five is the temptation to spiritual retirement. Now, I enjoyed sharing it at St. Mary's because at St. Mary's, you know, the population goes up and down, both on the lodge side, which is growing all the time now. There's a good population living in the lodge at St. Mary's, but as well as in continuing care. In continuing care, that population turns over much more quickly. And we are blessed right now to have a number of retired pastors and missionaries so boy, when we have a chapel service today, uh, together, they sing out like an old-timey choir. It's wonderful. You know, sometimes it's not a real singing bunch, and Pastor Allen is singing the, the, the music. It's like singing solos, and it's painful for me. It's painful, especially for them, to listen to it. It's hard. But right now, it's a wonderful time. And they agreed with this. That's something they struggle with, is whether or not they should be retired spiritually. You know what I mean by that. People who were at one time on fire, involved, and active, both in their community, serving people with the love of Christ, and in their churches, they were involved in everything. But in the natural course of our life, our, our uh, energy grows, it waxes, and then it wanes. It ebbs and it flows. And as our energy lessens and our nerves become a little more frayed, there are certain ministries that, that no longer suit us anymore. And so we step back from those, but the temptation is to step back from everything, to enter into the full retirement lifestyle, and that include your life as a believer. It's not just getting away for a few weekends because you have the, the time and the ability to go camping or to visit family or take trips. It's just sort of, you just sort of check out. You're, you're there, but you're, you're not there, if you know what I mean. And some people looking at retirement in general said, is retirement biblically taught? I'll say, well, it was a different world in those days. People worked to survive. It was subsistence living. But in Scripture, interestingly, I think we get a tip that service, while it changes with our time of life, it doesn't completely end. It's so all the way back in the Pentateuch, in the book of Numbers, Moses, passing on God's teaching, is writing about the service of the Levites. In the tabernacle, the sacrificial service, you had God's servants, the priesthood, 
which continued on and on and on, no matter the age. And you have the Levites who did the heavy lifting in the tabernacle and the animal care and all of the sacrifices and all the dirty work. That was hard physical labor. The Levites did it. They entered into it at 25. They apprenticed for five years. They became full Levites at 30. And then we read this, verse 23, Numbers 8. The Lord said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men, 25 years old or more, shall come to take part in the work at the tent of the meeting. The tent of the meeting. But at the age 50, they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing the duties at the tent of the meeting, but they themselves must not do the work. This then is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. I find that fascinating. The, the Levites, at, after the age of 50, the heavy hard work of dealing with, imagine, sacrificing, cutting up, burning bulls and oxen and all these big jobs, constant duty, they were now called to become assistants and allow the younger generation to take the lead. Well, I believe that happens in business. It happens in local churches as well. We're thankful when the younger generation steps into those positions of service, of teaching, and of leadership. But what about you older folks who used to do it? Are you off the hook? Not the Levites. They remained in service, but their service now was in support of those taking the lead. They were changed. Now, some of you, maybe you were youth leaders in your younger day, but you can imagine with us, with our osteoporosis and our frail hips trying to go out and, and lead the kids in a game of capture the flag, it would be a massacre. It would be terrible. So it changes. It really does. You are now gifted with life experience and wisdom that the younger generation needs. And if you don't have a hand with the younger generation, if you become complacent, they can go off track very easily. They need the continuity and the wisdom and the experience that you have. We find that, for instance, in the life of the high priest Eli, 1 Samuel. You know the story. Little Samuel came into service with Eli, the old, worn-out, tired high priest, He'd handed over all the duties to his sons. His sons were, were taking advantage of the people. They were stealing from, the, from the, the, the service of the tabernacle. They were taking advantage of women. It was, just, it was just an abomination in God's sight. And it all was at Eli's doorstep as the priest who had become complacent. God sent a, a prophet who confronted him. He says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do your sons, why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by the people of Israel? His complacency led to the death of his household and the loss of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant in battle to the Philistines. You know the story. Complacency can lead to disaster. So spiritual retirement's one that, you know, we have to be alert to. But that was only number five on the list. Number four, and that's one I know the young people wish was higher on our list, more on our radar, is inflexibility. The inability to change, to cope with change. But have a little heart, young people, because the grandmas and grandpas you're dealing with, some of our very older seniors, can you imagine 
they were alive in a world where the atom hadn't been split. They, they lived through World War II. They saw the invention of jet airplanes and nuclear bombs and space travel. The space age, remember how modern that was 50, 60 years ago? Then the computer age, the information age. The world is changing so quickly. The pace of change is increasing, increasingly just out of control. And so it's understandable that seniors around the world are struggling with change. But it even comes to our spiritual life. We have a hard time coping with how things are done different. When I was a boy, there was only one version of the Bible, not 19 different English modern translations. We had the King James Version. That was it. All the these and thous, the Shakespearean English. It was beautiful. Hard to understand, but beautiful. And we sang hymns, and yeah, occasionally we'd sing a new one that was only composed in the 1800s, but most of them were the good old hymns, you know, and and man, keep that guitar and that drum, leave that to the hippies. We had the organ, maybe the piano, but that was pretty showy, mostly the organ, because it had that nice church sound, you know. We grew up with it. We got used to it. Change is hard. Change is different. And it's increasing as now in the information age, any new Christian song is written anywhere in the world, Australia or here or California. Instantly, you have worship teams wanting to skip something that the church just learned six months ago, and now they have to go to something brand new. The pace of change is hard to keep up with. It's hard to find that thing that you felt comfortable with, and you become more and more inflexible. That's human nature. It really is. Whether spiritual or not, we all pine for the past. What scriptures say about pining for the past? In Ecclesiastes, the book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, it puts paid to that. It says, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom is not found in the rearview mirror. We live in a world that only moves in one direction. It only moves ahead. I'm not saying jettison the past and the good things from the past. There are wonderful teachings and truths and songs and and parts of our Christian heritage that should never be lost. But we don't fight over it. Boy, you know, we went through the worship wars back in the 80s and 90s. Do you remember that? Churches split. If they didn't split the church, they at least split services. I pastored a church where we had the traditional service with the organ and the piano. We had the the contemporary service with the full worship band. It was just different cultural, musical cultures and different age groups. But what I found in that church is that the contemporary service, all the seniors would go to it (laughs) because that's where our grandkids are. We want to go support our grandkids. And the the traditional service, we'd have all the families with the young kids there saying, we don't want our our kids not to learn the hymns. And so it was kind of weird, kind of backwards. And then we decided, you know, we love and we will show deference to all worship understandings. We'll have a mixture. We have wonderful worship teams here, even, even the size of church we are, that really pay attention to different eras and genres of music. We can't be overly inflexible. We can't just pine for the past because God is doing something new today. It's not what he did in your grandparents' heart that's going to make a difference for you and in your life. It's what he's doing in your life today. He's a God that's constantly creating. 
Somewhere in the depths of space, there are these amazing places. They call them the nursery of stars where stars are being born. God is constantly a creating God. And in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 18, we read, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert, a stream in the wasteland. God is the God of new. Jesus drove that point home, remember, in Mark, in, in the Gospels, rather, as he told the story of new wine and new old wineskins, it would destroy them. Jesus says, for instance, in Mark 2.22, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine and the new wineskins. But as I get older, I feel more like an old wineskin. <laughs> the new things and the new ways of doing stuff gets harder and I'm, I'm less flexible. The new wineskin, that will flex and grow as the wine fermented. You know, it was flexible. That's a danger. Inflexibility will burst your bubble in a big way. So we have to be open to what God is doing new. We don't lose the wonderful things of the past, but be open to what He's doing today. Number three on the list of temptations of our senior years is regret. Regret. Dealing with seniors, anyone in geriatric medicine, you deal with seniors on a regular basis, you know that some people, they're looking forward, they're, they're connected to what's happening now. But some, they don't just dwell on the good old days, they dwell on the mistakes of the past. It weighs on them. What if I had made that decision? What if I had married this person? What if I had chosen that career? And their joy is stolen because of regret. Because of regret. The picture there is from a cover of a book. It was a hard book to read because it was a heavy, emotionally draining book to read. It's the autobiography. He wrote it himself. John Bunyan, best known for writing Pilgrim's Progress, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. He saw himself as the Apostle Paul did as the chief of sinners. He had such regret over the sin in his life that his regret came so close to keeping him out of the kingdom of God altogether. He could not believe that God could forgive him for he could not forgive himself. Sometimes that's the hardest person to forgive is yourself. You know more than anybody else will ever know what you've done, who you've let down, the lies we tell, the, the false happiness that we show to the world where on the inside we live in regret and shame and we're locked into that. The Apostle Paul, if anyone, should have been crushed by his regrets. He was apart from Christ. He counted himself an enemy of Jesus called Jesus a false teacher, sought to destroy the early church, Jesus' followers, was complicit in the murder of the first Christian martyr, Stephen, outside the gates of Jerusalem. On his way to destroy the church, men, women, and children execute them, put them in jail. He met Jesus face to face. Saul, why do you persecute me? It broke his heart. But he didn't live in the regret. 
God delivered him from that regret. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. In the old King James, I'm the chief of sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on Him and receive eternal life. The chief of sinners. Paul knew he didn't deserve forgiveness. None of us does. It's not deserved. It's grace. It's a gift. You don't receive a gift as payment for something you've done. It's a free gift to you from love and grace. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. While we, while we were yet God's enemies, Christ died for us. So if Paul could be set free from regret, the worst of sinners, who are we to dwell on our failings in the past? In fact, Scripture says, you don't drive by looking in the rearview mirror. Look ahead. God has something good for you down the road. Have a future focus. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 13, Paul again writes, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Leave the past in the past. Be set free from it. Trust God for the future. He has better things ahead for all of us. And for seniors, boy, that's hard. But one of the ways we need help from our kids and grandkids is to keep us connected, keep us engaged, keep us informed of what's happening today. One of our spiritual things when we don't spiritually retire is to become prayer warriors and to pray for our kids and grandkids. And if they know that grandma and grandpa love them, accept them, and pray for them, you'll hear from them more often. Keep your eyes focused on the future. Be future oriented. Press ahead, the Apostle Paul said. Number four, this one's a familiar one, critical spirit. The temptation to be like the, the hecklers in the old Muppet show. Remember them? Statler and Waldorf, they never had a good thing to say. No matter what those poor Muppets did on the stage, they had something negative and funny to say about it. I think they were kind of my favorite characters. Ken and I both, that could be me and Ken, both of us up there. If you may... Yeah, it kind of looks like us too a little bit, you know? Statler and Waldorf. Critical spirit, that is, a, that is something that we don't even catch ourselves. I think, where does it start? It starts, I believe, when we move out of those positions of real influence and we see the new generation come up, we start to feel a little bit sidelined. And we see how the new generation is doing it. And, you know, it's never exactly how we would do it. And so we feel very free on critiquing that. It may start out as just some helpful, constructive criticism. Pretty soon it becomes a habit. A habit of negativity. 
And soon we don't construct anything. In fact, we begin to tear things down. But we find ourselves, it's hard to stop being critical because, you know, sometimes you feel as an older person that any attention is good attention. And you get attention by being the squeaky wheel and the negative Nelly and the one that is always going to vote nay on everything on principle. We go by feeling loss of influence to seeking attention. We don't get that attention, that positive attention. We begin to feel more and more isolated. And then we complain that the kids won't come see us and the grandkids want nothing to do with us. Well, would you want to hang around with somebody with a critical spirit? Oh, I can't wait to go visit Cousin Hazel. Oh, she, there's nothing that she cannot complain about. Oh, I can't wait. She's going to gripe and gripe, and it's going to be great. I can't wait. I've never heard that either. No, you want to be with, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make him embarrassed, but Vern, we're celebrating his birthday today. And it's kind of interesting, his prayer request was actually a praise, just being thankful. Because it's people like him with a positive spirit, an encouraging spirit, that we don't sour as we get older, we become sweeter, you know. We're not wine that turns to vinegar. We're not cabbage that turns to sauerkraut. We have a choice whether to sour or sweeten as we get older. And I love the fact that I've even known people in church life, and I'm not going to name names because some of them might even be here in the sanctuary, that, you know, back in the day, we were known to love a good dust-up at a business meeting. We were tough. We were, we were kind of ran the roost, and we were not the nicest guys always. But as we got older, we began to see both sides of the story and really have compassion and care for those people. And I love to see God's people sweeten. And it's one of my great blessings in life to count as many friends, people who were tough in their younger years, but God has pulled the, pulled the fangs and become sweeter as we get older. And you know, when you do that, the young people and the children will want to spend more time with you because you have a caring heart, a positive heart. And you know, we can help. If we have a senior in our life that struggles with a critical spirit, catch them doing something good. Catch them being positive. It may take a while, but you catch them and you point it out and you praise them for it. Oh, thank you, Grandma. Thank you for not jumping down my throat when you could have. Thank you for seeing the good in that person. That's encouraging to me. And the more we do that, it's like the old song, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. It's a process. And it's something as we get older, we need to be aware of. Scripture's kind of tough on us when we play judge, jury, and executioner. There's not a lot of good said about that. For instance, in James chapter 4, James says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you? Boy, you know, that, that's kind of hard to hear because when I'm being critical and judgmental, I'm taking a place that belongs to God. He knows it all. He's the, the true judge, not me, with my little limited perspective. Who do we think we are? 
We need a positive attitude. And I think that begins with daily reading God's Word to be grown and built up and let it sink into us and become God's thoughts, become our thoughts. Nothing replaces regular systematic reading of God's Word. For instance, the Apostle Paul in that wonderful encouraging letter to the Philippians, Paul who could have been a cranky old guy, but he was so encouraging. Philippians 4.8, do you remember what Paul says? Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about those things. Let your mind see the beauty and the truth and the joy around you. We live in a world, you almost have to avoid the news. You have to limit your intake. People who are addicted to the news struggle with negative thoughts because the world I think we're seeing the, the I think we're seeing the culturally at least the fall of Judeo-Christian Western civilization. It's 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 incredibly concerning, and we'll talk about that. What the young people are facing in the world today next week, but we need to focus on positive, be agents of positivity. And that brings us to our last and hardest struggle for seniors: worry, worry. You know, we don't sleep like we used to. Pains and aches, they wake us up. We can do two things when we lie there in pain or trying to fall back to sleep. We can, we can worry about things and our minds, they just spin away and they spin and they spin. Or we can pray about it. We can give it to God. We can trust God. You ask those same seniors, what do you worry about? Number one worry. I worry for my kids. No matter how old we get, we worry for the kids. Well, what's your number two worry? I worry for my grandkids. The world they live in, the challenges they face, I never face things like that. Or I see my kids, they're not where they should be spiritually. They're making poor decisions. They're going off the rails. And we worry and we worry when we should be praying and trusting. Because Jesus says, worry is a waste. The waste of time. As Jesus wonderful, it's a sermon in the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, but in the Gospel of Luke we find it in chapter 12, his lesson on worry. Jesus then said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. Life's more than food. Body's more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who are you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Again, worrying is taking something that belongs to God. That's his. That's his to do, to take care of us to watch over, and to answer prayer. And we need to put away the wasteful time of worry and give it to God, commit it to God. Because when we give it to Him in prayer, He gives us something in return. He gives us peace, His peace. Again, in Paul's letter of Philippians chapter 4, just a little higher than we've already read, verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious, 
It's another word for worrying, isn't it? About anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, presenting your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Through prayer, we unleash God's peace in our lives. In the direst of circumstances, the terminal diagnosis, the loss of our life's partner, our loved ones, God can still give us His peace when we give Him our pain through prayer and commit that into His keeping. And we end with God's trustworthiness. He is the trustworthy God. That promise found in Isaiah chapter 46 for seniors, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am He. I am He who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. (laughs) We need to trust the trustworthy God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're told by James to count it as joy when we face the tests and the trials and the temptations because though they are hard to go through, though they're not pleasant, Lord, you grow us by them. We see your hand of love in every situation. We see that you keep your promises. We experience miraculous peace in the midst of life's storms, all because You're trustworthy. Father, as we grow older, help us to sweeten rather than sour. Help us, Lord, to be encouraging, positive, flexible to change, and trusting You rather than worrying. Lord, these are the type of seniors that the younger generation needs as mentors and guides to, Lord, assist those who are taking the reins of leadership to pray for them, encourage them, and to offer sage advice when asked. Lord, when we spiritually retire, the churches suffer and the kingdom is poorer for it. So Lord, help us to understand our senior saints and to see them in these life struggles and Lord, to come alongside them and to pray for them as well. Father, we thank you for the different stages of life. We thank you for your faithfulness in each one. And now, Lord, as we separate from this place of worship, send us now to our places of service in our homes and our communities to love with Jesus' love. We ask it all in his name. Amen. God bless and keep you.